Hear the word of the Lord. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions of his head as he lay in his bed. Then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea, and four great beasts came out of the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Then as I looked, its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man, and the mind of a man was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second one, like a bear. It was raised on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth, and it was told, Arise, devour much flesh. After this I looked, and behold, another, like a leopard, with four wings of a bird on its back, and the beast had four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke into pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was, it was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another horn, a little one, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great things. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him, and then ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. I looked then, of the, I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking. And as I looked, the beast was killed, and its body destroyed, and was given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I saw in the night visions. And behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. As for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious and the visions of my head alarmed me. I approached one of those who stood there and asked him the truth concerning all this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of the things. These four great beasts are four kings who shall rise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever and ever. Then I desired to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the rest, exceedingly terrifying, with its teeth of iron and claws of bronze, and which devoured and broke in pieces and stamped out what was left with its feet. And about the ten horns that were on its head and the other horn that came up and before which the three of them fell. The horn that had eyes and a mouth that spoke great things and that seemed greater than its companions. As I looked, this horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them until the Ancient of Days came and judgment was given for the saints of the Most High. And the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. Thus he said, as for the first, fourth beast, there shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different from all the kingdoms, and it shall devour the whole earth, and trample it down, and break it to pieces. As for the ten horns, out of this kingdom ten kings shall arise, and another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the former ones, and he shall put down three kings. He shall speak words against the Most High, and shall wear the saints of the Most High, and shall think to change the times and the law, and they shall be given into his hand for a time, times, and time and a half. But the court shall sit in judgment, and his dominion shall be taken away, to be consumed and destroyed to the end, and the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. Here's the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly alarmed me, and my color changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. This is God's word. 
Let's pray together, Father, as we approach your holy word. Pray that we would do so with trembling. Pray that we would do so with a spirit of humility. Help us as we approach a a perplexing passage. But I pray also that you would give us clarity. Help us not to miss the great and glorious truths and the clear point that that Daniel is revealing here and that you are revealing. Pray that you would speak to us. That's what we need. We need to hear from you. So would you do so, and would you help us to not merely be hearers of this word, but be doers as well. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Well, we're back to Daniel. Took a a week off, took a short break, because between Daniel 6 and Daniel 7, I I hope you noticed it through the reading, that the genre shifts. Daniel 1 through 6 is is purely narrative. It it plays like a story. Daniel 7 is, um, to say the least, different, right? It's it's different. Um, The same is true for Daniel 8 all the way through the end of the book. There's a clear shift in genre. So we wanted to take a break last week. Avery uh, did a fantastic job um, preaching Psalm 110 and... uh, but now we're going to be back. We'll be in Daniel until our Advent series in December. So, so buckle in. We're in, we're in the apocalyptic uh, region of Daniel uh, for the rest of the semester. Um, Daniel 7 presents us with a different literary genre. Um, and if you don't consider genre whenever you're, you're coming to Scripture, you're going to struggle to interpret it rightly. In order to, to interpret a passage rightly, you need to know the type of literature that you're reading. So if you're reading the Psalms and you're reading poetry, it's going to read much differently than if you're reading Mark and, and you're reading a gospel narrative. Um, and your interpretational uh, skills and approach cannot be the same. Um, so, so as we approach Daniel 7, we enter into what is called apocalyptic literature. In the Bible, there are, there are two places where we find apocalyptic literature, Daniel 7 through 12 and the book of Revelation. And, and that's basically it. We have, we have two places in scripture where we have this unique genre. The, the other thing that makes, makes it so unique and, and to us seem really strange is this is one of those genres that has not really lasted throughout the course of history. We don't really have a lot of people writing apocalyptic literature today. Okay, it was something that was really common in the second century BC to about the second century AD, um, and Daniel's like one of the, the exceptions. It's actually why some scholars want to date Daniel really late. They want to push Daniel back um, because it is apocalyptic. Um, so it's not something that, that I'm very familiar with. It's not something that you're very familiar with unless we come to Daniel 7 through 12 or we go to the book of Revelation. So I thought it might be helpful for you as we, as we open just to give a few characteristics of apocalyptic literature so we know the game that we're playing. We need to know the rules of the game, um, the rules of apocalyptic literature so that we can interpret this rightly. Um, so, so I want to share with you five characteristics of apocalyptic literature, which will really guide our, our interpretation of Daniel 7 through the end of the book. Uh, the first characteristic of apocalyptic literature is revelation. Okay, revelation. Not the book, but the word. So revelation. Um, worldly and heavenly realities are unmasked. In, in apocalyptic literature. The writer of apocalyptic literature is trying to open your eyes to see something. And if you notice, it's pictures. It's almost like a movie. You know, it, it, he's trying to give these graphic, these dramatic pictures to open your eyes to see something. And typically, the future or the end of time is what's being revealed. The end of history is what's being revealed. So he's trying to open your eyes to reveal something to you so you can see it coming, typically something that happens in the future. Okay, so Revelation. The second characteristic is conflict. If you read, if you read the book of Revelation, there is conflict on nearly every page. This, this uh, 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 vision that Daniel has of these four beasts, it's, it's, it's a vision of conflict, of fighting. We see the beasts opposing and, and pressing down against God's people. So we see conflicts between God's enemies and God's people in apocalyptic literature, especially biblical apocalyptic apocalyptic literature okay so revelation conflict third replacement okay so typically we'll see an evil wicked king or ruler or figure who has power and who has dominion and who is wreaking havoc and then in the end we see god's kingdom replacing that king in that kingdom that that evil wicked earthly dominion we see the replacement of god's kingdom fourth imagery 
Imagery is, is huge for apocalyptic literature. So uh, within Daniel 7 through 12, we're going to, to encounter complex and mysterious images and symbolism. Okay, and if you don't know that going in and you try to interpret this literally, you're going you're gonna to be thinking like, wait a minute. So what you're telling me is one day there's going to be this beast that comes up that's got like four heads coming out of it and it's going to look like a leopard and, it's gonna, and then another one's going to come. If you don't understand that this is symbolic and that this is imagery meaning to draw your attention to a central point, you're going to completely miss the point of the passage. So it's, it's laced with imagery throughout, throughout the, the book. And then finally, hope. So revelation, conflict, replacement, imagery, and hope. And this is where people really miss it. They really miss the point of Revelation. They really miss the point of Daniel 7 through 12. The purpose of biblical apocalyptic literature is to provide hope for God's suffering people. It's to provide hope for God's suffering people. Well, as we enter Daniel 7, we're given a little bit of context here right at the beginning. And, and if you've been with us throughout this through this journey through Daniel, you're familiar with the, the characters here. So the, the chapter opens in the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon. Okay, so we learned about King Belshazzar in Daniel chapter 5. King Belshazzar was the third or fourth king that came after King Nebuchadnezzar. He's the first king we meet after King Nebuchadnezzar. We learn all about Nebuchadnezzar in chapters 1 through 4. And then we have this new king, King Belshazzar. King Belshazzar was the final king of Babylon. He was a co-regent with his father in the kingdom of Babylon before the Persians, the kingdom of Media Persia, came in and conquered Babylon and uh, made it um, a city for the kingdom of Persia. So Belshazzar was that final king, and this is the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon. So this is before, this is before the scene that we see in Daniel 5, the great feast that the king had and his last day and the judgment that the Lord pronounced over him through the handwriting on the wall. This is before that scene. So as Daniel, who was a politician in, in the kingdom of Babylon, as, as he is sleeping one night, says he has a dream it's more like a nightmare Daniel saw a dream and visions of his head as he lay in his bed Um, apocalyptic visions are meant to open our eyes to see something that's the point that's the point so we're not going to be tracing a story this morning we're going to be looking at pictures I want to fix your eyes on the images that Daniel shares because Daniel 7 Daniel offers no commentary okay Daniel is the great interpreter of dreams he interpreted the dreams and visions of the most powerful man in the world King Nebuchadnezzar he was the only one in the kingdom who could do uh, such a thing he, he was the only one he, he would he would call on the Lord and he would receive uh, revelation and he would offer an interpretation Daniel himself now has a vision and he has no idea what it means he is bewildered. We don't see a strong and firm Daniel here. We see, we see a Daniel who is shaken up, who is distraught by this, by this dream, by this vision. And so he's just sharing the content of the vision. And then he has to ask a heavenly figure to help him with this vision. What does it mean? What, what is the interpretation? And then we have that at the very end. But, but since the point of apocalyptic visions is to open our eyes to see something, what I want to do this morning is consider Daniel 7 in two parts. Okay, the, the first thing I want to do is consider the pictures of the vision. Just to consider the pictures of the vision, there are two pictures, two scenes in this vision that I want us to walk through. And then at the end, what I want us to do is consider the purposes of the vision. There are clear purposes of this vision. So first, let's, let's take a look at these, these two grand pictures. Picture number one, the four beasts. The four beasts. So what we see here, what Daniel sees here, it says, Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea, and four great beasts came up out of the sea, different from one another and then he goes on to describe the beast so what we see here is that you have four beasts 
that come up out of the sea and the sea was uh, stirred up by the four winds of heaven so you have heaven that's stirring up the sea and these beasts that are rising up out of the sea it's like a sci-fi movie with these these terrifying beasts that come up out of the sea symbolically the sea especially in this culture was viewed as chaos Okay, the sea was representative of absolute chaos as opposed to the order in which God created the world. So the sea represented chaos, and you have these chaotic um, beasts that arise up out of the sea. Now, let's, let's look at the four beasts because they, they are strange and, and they are a little frightening. So let's, let's, let's look at them. First, the first beast that Daniel sees is a lion, but it's not any ordinary lion, okay? So it's a lion with eagle's wings, so if you can imagine this ferocious lion that has the wings of, of an eagle on it, and, and then those wings are torn off of the lion, and then this, this terrifying lion that had eagle's wings is stood up on its feet like a man, and, and it's able to walk around, and then, and then it's given a human mind. So, so you have a lion with eagle's wings. They're torn off. It's, it's, it's like a man now. It's standing on its feet, and then it's given a human mind. Okay, the second beast. So if that wasn't terrifying enough, he sees a new one. This beast is a bear. It's like a bear. That's how he's describing it as he sees it. It's, it's lopsided. So either, either the, the bear is deformed on one side, so, it, so it's just grotesque, or the bear is, is about ready to pounce, so it's eager. And, and that, that may be what it is because it has ribs in its mouth. It's already been feasting. And so, so then this beast is actually counseled to devour flesh. It's a beast that's on the prowl who is hungry for more. Well, if that wasn't frightening enough, then Daniel sees a leopard. He says, after this I looked in verse 6, and behold, another, like a leopard, with four wings of a bird on its back. And the beast had four heads, and dominion was given to it. All right, so now you have a leopard. Now you have a leopard. Now, leopards, like, they're, they're scary enough, right? Like, again, like bears and lions, like, just a lion, just a bear is scary enough. Uh, the maze told me about this trip they went on and how, like, they had to be worried about the bears coming around. I was like, well, where is that? Because I want to make sure we never go to that place, okay? Because I don't want to see a bear. But, but these, these beasts are described, you know, not just with the fury of a leopard, but this leopard has four wings. It can fly around like a bird. And then it also has four heads. Four heads, this terrifying beast. And then he sees another. The fourth beast is so terrifying, Daniel cannot liken it to anything. You notice that? He sees the first beast, and he's like, that's, that's like a lion. That's, that's like a bear with the second one. That's like a leopard. The fourth beast is just like, behold a fourth beast terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong we don't know what it looked like he's fixated on the beast's teeth because its teeth were made of iron it had great iron teeth and we learn later that, that this beast also had bronze claws we learn that this beast has 10 horns coming out from its head and then, as he's looking at this terrifying beast and he's cowering in its presence, a little horn grows on top of the head amidst the ten horns, a little horn. And then if that's not weird enough and strange enough, that little horn grows eyes and a mouth. And it starts to speak. The ESV, I do not like the ESV's translation. It says that it spoke great things. It totally misses the context here. It's, it's speaking arrogantly speaking arrogant things. So the, the terrifying beast, and Daniel can only fixate on the teeth until he sees the horns, until he sees the little horn, and when the little horn comes up, three of the other horns just collapse. And, and then the little horn develops eyes and a mouth and starts speaking. Daniel's absolutely terrified at this point. Okay, before we get into the, the second picture, because from, from verse 8 to verse 9, he just sees something else. Uh, I want to also consider the interpretation to say a little bit more about these beasts. So we are told very clearly that these four beasts represent four human kings. 
which, which would mean that they represent four human kingdoms. Um, the common characteristics of these kingdoms, so as we look at the images that we've seen here, uh, the descriptors that Daniel's given us, as you imagine those, those four terrifying beasts, what do we see in common with all of them? Well, first, they all have dominion. Okay, they all have dominion. They, they all have authority. They all have kingdoms. They, they, have, they have real dominion. Okay, the second thing, they have massive strength. And it's, they get stronger and stronger and stronger with, with, each, with, with each beast that's described. Um, the, the fourth beast is, is especially strong. They're evil. They're evil. They're coming up out of the chaos of the sea. And they're wreaking havoc, the bear with the ribs in its mouth, and told to devour flesh. So these kings, these kingdoms that they represent are evil kings, evil kingdoms. And then finally, they are they have a hunger for more and more power. You notice each of those, they're hungry. They're on the prowl. They want more. They want more dominion. They want more authority. They want more power. And they come and they, they trample and they destroy. And while all that's true of all the beasts, the fourth beast, the fourth kingdom, is even more unique. It stands out. Daniel says it's different. The, the interpreter says the fourth one is different. The fourth beast, the fourth kingdom, it's different. Um, Daniel is actually obsessed with the fourth beast. If you actually look at the interpretation uh, that is given there, I, I love how, how Daniel you know, receives the clear wording from the, the angel in verses 16 and 17, or 17 and 18. And then uh, in verse 19 he says, And then I desired to know the truth about the fourth beast. He's fixated on that fourth beast. He's terrified by it. He hears this word in, in verses 17 and 18, and we'll cover it, where, where the, the angel looks to him and says, these four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth. And then he gives them this great word of hope. Great word of hope in verse 18. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever, and ever. And then Daniel's like, yeah, cool. Tell me about that fourth beast, though. <laughs> okay? Because the fourth beast was so unique. It's, it's uniquely frightening. It's uniquely dreadful. It's uniquely strong. It's uniquely arrogant. It's the only one that speaks. It's, it's uniquely blasphemous. It not only has dominion, it has universal dominion. And it causes universal destruction. It tramples, it devours, it tramples, it crushes, and it says it breaks the whole earth. So it doesn't just have regional authority. It has universal authority and dominion. Um, what's most frightening about the beast is, is found in the interpretation. Because, you know, that image is scary enough, you know. Um, I don't know how many of y'all are familiar with uh, Stranger Things. Um, but in Stranger Things, there's this, there's this frightening figure called the Demogorgon. Okay, and it's just, I mean it's scary okay like it's just it's freaky looking you know it's it's this big monstrosity this this really frightening monster and like when you first see it like it can like just seeing it seeing the beast itself it can give you nightmares you know and I'm sure some of you have seen you know uh, movies in the past where like you know I really wish I hadn't seen that because I'm going to be seeing it in my nightmares like for the next week or so um, so even just seeing this description is a little startling it's just like oh man that's just mm. that's not the most frightening thing about the beast though the most frightening thing is that the beasts represent human kings and human kingdoms. So as long as Daniel is on the earth, he can't truly wake up from this nightmare. He wakes up from the nightmare and he's like, those are real. That wasn't just something I saw. What I saw represents something that's real. The beasts aren't from some other world or merely the creation of a sci-fi writer. So the Demogorgon lives in its own realm. And then the problem in Stranger Things is that the Demogorgon has entered, you know, our realm, and, and we've got to get it out, we've got to get it out. Um, the monsters, the beasts in Daniel 7, the interpreter tells him, oh, they're actually in your realm. We're describing them in these frightening, terrifying terms, but they're real, and they're human, and they're, they're with you. Um, the beasts are real. They have real power, real dominion, and they are really evil. And what we learn is that the fourth beast in particular really persecutes God's people. 
and they really suffer, and they are really conquered by him. The four beasts. Then Daniel sees something else. So he sees these beasts come up out of the sea. He describes all of them in detail. And then in verse 9, he sees something different. He sees two divine figures. Picture number two, two divine figures. Verse 9, Daniel says, As I looked, as I looked, thrones were placed. And the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were open. We're introduced to this new figure who arises on the scene. You have these terrifying beasts who have come to terrorize the earth. And then, boom, in this moment in time, we see a courtroom. We see a throne room. Thrones were placed. And the Ancient of Days took his seat. The Ancient of Days. How is he described? Before we just assume it's God. How is he described? He's a king. Again, we have these images, the thrones that were placed. This figure is a king. He is holy, clothing, white as snow, representative of purity. He is holy. He is wise, hair that is white like pure wool, representative of wisdom. He is powerful, the the image of fire here. His throne, his throne, the throne itself was fiery flames. And the wheels, the throne has wheels, and the wheels... We're burning fire. And then there's a stream of fire issued that came out before the ancient of days, representative of the presence of God, but also the the power of God. And then what else do we see? The court sat in judgment. He's a judge. He's not just a king. He's also a judge. And then we see in verse 11, I looked then because of the sound of the, the great or arrogant words that the horn was speaking. As I looked, the beast was killed. And its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away. He is sovereign. He is sovereign. This figure is unlike the rest of the beasts because he can take away all the power, all the dominion that they have accomplished through their terror. He just takes it from them. He just removes it. He destroys the fourth beast. It's not even described in in vivid terms because it's so easy for him. He destroys the fourth beast. He is sovereign over them. So what do we see? What do we see this ancient of days doing? He first establishes himself as one with supreme authority, dominion, and power. He judges this arrogant little horn, this beast with this horn that's speaking out blasphemy, speaking arrogant things, and he has dominated the entire earth, and we see the Lord crush him. We see the Lord destroy him with a word. He judges him, he destroys him, and then finally he takes the dominion from each of the four beasts. Their power is completely taken away. Their dominion is completely taken away. The Ancient of Days reigns supreme over all of these frightening beasts. Okay? And then we see a second figure enter the room. The Son of Man. Daniel says in verse 13, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven... There came one like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. How is the son of man, this figure, described? Well, first, he is divine. This image of coming with the clouds of heaven that was always referred to as a theophany when God would make an appearance on earth. And we, we see that, that with this phrase that the Son of Man is, is God-like. He is divine because of the way that he enters. He's coming with the clouds of heaven. But he's also human. Daniel's, think about Daniel. Okay, we're looking at this and we immediately think of, oh, well, Jesus, you know. And just immediately because we have the New Testament. Daniel didn't have the New Testament. He is describing what he sees. Now, maybe, maybe in Daniel's mind, he immediately thought back to um, Davidic promises. Maybe he thought back to the Davidic king, that there will be a king in the line of David who will reign forever, maybe. 
We don't know. But Daniel's just describing what he sees. Here's what he sees. He sees a figure. And, and here's what this figure is like. He's coming with the clouds of heaven. He's, he's God-like. But it's odd because he's also like a person. He's, he has human qualities. He is human. He's like a son of man. And then, then what else do we see? So he's divine. He's human. He's a king. He's a king. The kingdom, a glory and a kingdom is presented to him and dominion is given to him. Um, he's given a people. You see that? And, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. He's worshiped. The word, the word that's translated serve there throughout the book of Daniel is always in reference to serving gods and can easily be translated as worship. This figure, this son of man, is, is worshiped by the people that have been given to him in the kingdom that has been given to him. And by the way, that kingdom is not like the kingdom of the beast. It cannot be taken away, and it will never come to an end. The Son of Man, this divine, human, kingly figure with a people and a kingdom where he is worshipped. Now, the identity of this Son of Man is easy for us to, to conclude on. We, we benefit from Daniel's vision so much more than he did because we have so much more revelation than, than he did. We know that the Son of Man, who is the King of an eternal kingdom, was Jesus of Nazareth. There are many places in Scripture I could take you to. In Matthew 26, 64, Jesus himself says, From now on you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Jesus is using Daniel's language and he says, I am that figure. I am the Son of Man. Mary's son right? The carpenter's son, Joseph's son, the, the baby who was born in Bethlehem, the, the one who, who lived and the one who died and the one who rose again, he is the son of man. Now, in this picture, the arrival of the son of man meant the end of the evil kingdoms of man. Their terror and their tyranny is absolutely brutal. And I hope you get that from the pictures and the images. It is brutal but it's short-lived. It has an end date. The Son of Man, on the other hand, receives and reigns over a kingdom of peace that will never come to an end. So while kingdoms are taken from the wicked kings of earth, this eternal kingdom established by the Ancient of Days and the Son of Man is given to the people of God. I hope you notice that. Don't, don't stop with the Son of Man's kingdom. It's God's kingdom. It's the Ancient of Days, and he gives it to the Son, and we get to be a part of it, and we get to worship. No, this kingdom is given, given to the very people who are suffering persecution at the hands of these evil, beastly kings. Okay, so if you can see the pictures, the two pictures, you can see the beast, and you can see... The Ancient of Days in the throne room, in the courtroom, in the, in the Son of Man. If you can kind of put them together and see it, we can, we can kind of have a still shot. We can have a snapshot of this vision. Here's the snapshot. Here's the snapshot. It comes in in verses 17 and 18. First, these four beasts are four kingdoms, and these kingdoms will reign in terror, even persecuting God's people. Okay? That's what the beasts represent. But... A day is coming when the people of God will receive and possess an eternal kingdom through the victory of the Son of Man and the sovereign justice of the Ancient of Days. That's the image. That's, that's the vision. That's the picture. There are four evil kingdoms, and the Ancient of Days is going to judge them, and the Son of Man is going to give the people of God an eternal kingdom. Um, that's the vision. There are three purposes to this vision, though. Um, so many people, and you may, have experienced, you may have gone through a Bible study on this, you may have heard the teaching, you may yourself have, have thought some of these things. There are too many people that think the purpose of Daniel's vision is to predict exactly when the events of this prophecy will come to pass. They want to know. They want to know. Who are the kings? There are four kings, because I hope you noticed this. Did you catch it? Did you catch it? The interpreter doesn't tell us. 
He doesn't tell us the identity of the kings, the identity of the kingdoms. Could he have told us? Probably, right? Probably could have told us. You know, here, here's, okay, yeah, they represent human kings and here are their names. But he doesn't. He doesn't tell us. So what do people do? What are we tempted to do? We're tempted to look back at history and say, all right now, which kingdom was kind of like a lion, you know? And which one's like a leopard? And you try to line all these things up and, and people have done that. Who are the kings and who are the kingdoms? Is Trump the fourth beast? Right? Oh, no. No, it's Elizabeth Warren. That's why we gotta go vote, right? I, I have to offend everybody, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> But, but surely it's China, surely it's China, or, or Russia, or maybe it was Nazi Germany, but, you know, I don't know, there have been some, some regimes since then. Uh, you know, most scholars, honestly, the, the contention is really between two arguments. Is it Babylon, Media, Persia, and Greece, or is it Babylon, Media, Persia, Greece, and Rome? That's, that's the historical argument that Daniel 7 was fulfilled through those four kingdoms, Babylon, Media, Persia, Greece, and Rome. Um, but there are others, there are others who believe that the fourth beast points forward to the Antichrist because, because, you know, the fourth beast is described as being different, right? It's unique, it's different. And then the terror of the fourth beast lasts until that final judgment. Okay, so, so we, could, we could say that. But here's the encouraging part if your head is spinning right now. A proper understanding of this vision does not depend on the identification of the four kingdoms. All right, we don't have to know. We don't have to know. We're not told by the passage. Um, it's not sinful. It's not sinful for these scholars to do this work and, and to offer suggestions. That's not, that's not wrong. But we don't need the identification to understand the vision. And in fact, in all of our efforts to try to identify the kingdoms, we may just miss the simple point of the vision. The simple point of the vision is that no matter what the beasts of this world may do to us, we are going to be okay because the ancient of days and the son of man will prevail and provide for us. And so out of that simple central point, there are three purposes to this vision. Like what's the purpose of a strange apocalyptic vision like that for, for us? Those of us who don't have power at home right now, like what's, what's the point of this, of this strange vision? Um, there are three purposes for us. Look, we, look outward, look upward, and to look onward. Okay, so, for, so first... Um, Daniel 7 encourages us to look outward. Daniel 7 opens our eyes to see the world as it is and as it will be. The world is full of beasts. So we need to expect life to be difficult. And if you are a Christian, I hope you picked up from Daniel 7, if you are a Christian, you can expect persecution. You can expect it. You may not be experiencing it, but you can expect it. Daniel 7 makes it impossible for us to be surprised by suffering or persecution. What we see here is that God's people are not immune to the effects of the fall, and God's people are not protected from the sinful, evil acts of those in power. There are beastly kings, and there always have been throughout the history of the world, and God's people have suffered at their hands. What I love about this is that the Bible does not try to paint an unrealistically pleasant picture of the world, okay? Um, despite all of its imagery, Daniel 7 is full of realism. The world really is as evil and scary as Daniel sees in his vision. Um, he was haunted. Daniel was haunted by this nightmare because the beasts were truly more terrifying than we can probably imagine. We just, we can't see it as well as Daniel could see it. But we already know this. We don't have to see his vision to know this. We know how terrifying and powerful and real the beasts are. Babylon, Media, Persia, Greece, and Rome were ruthless. Go to the history books and, and, and just read about how ruthless and brutal these kingdoms, these empires were. Um, and especially Christians that arose during the reign of the Roman Empire, the Romans were cruel to our brothers and sisters of old. But even when the books of history have closed on the Roman Empire, guess what? New, powerful, and ruthless kings and kingdoms have taken their place. And, and Christians have suffered at the hands of powerful, cruel kings and kingdoms since Jesus ascended. Um, even today, Christians in the Middle East, in North Africa, in China, and other places face 
harsh persecution every single day at the hands of beastly rulers. So what we need to see is that life in this present age will always be filled with chaos, evil, persecution, and suffering until this age comes to an end. That's what Daniel is trying to get us to see. The world is not as it should be. There is chaos where there should be order. There is conflict where there should be peace. There is suffering where there should be joy. And just a side note, that's why it's so foolish for us to place our hope in any worldly ruler or leader or authority. That's why it's equally foolish for us to be paralyzed by fear of any worldly leader or ruler or authority. No human leader can reverse the reality of this world. So, so don't put your ultimate hope in any human leader. Okay? They, they can't reverse the way the world is. And we should not be caught off guard when even our own political leaders follow the pattern of this chaotic and sinful and beastly world. The beasts are frightening and they are dreadful. They are given power and dominion for a little while, for a specific period of time. And they will, throughout that time, oppose God and oppose his people. And they will, Daniel 7 tells us, conquer over them at times. So one, person, one purpose of Daniel 7 is to reveal how ugly the world really is. And how the world will continue to be this way until the end. We would do well to see this evil coming. Um, now, that's really encouraging, I know. Um, <laughs> but the more you think about how scary the world is, um, some of you may already be making plans. You might be on Amazon right now. You're trying to stock up on your imperishables. You're um, going to take full advantage of your Second Amendment rights and just kind of you know, stock up on some weapons and uh, build a bomb shelter and just kind of live out the rest of your days just waiting, just waiting for the beasts, waiting for the end. Um, but the purpose of apocalyptic literature, the purpose of Daniel 7, is not to create paranoia and fear. It's, it's not to create fear. Daniel 7 isn't meant to give you nightmares. It's meant to calm your nightmares. The purpose of Daniel 7 is to instill gritty faith for today and restful hope for tomorrow. So it opens our eyes to see how vicious and violent the world can be, but then it doesn't just encourage us to look outward at the, at the scary world. It encourages us to look upward and to look onward at what's to come. So purpose number two, look upward. The vision provides encouragement to remain faithful through persecution and suffering. So Daniel 7 saying, persecution is coming to God's people. You're going to suffer. Life in this world will be difficult. It will be painful and we will face opposition and we may face persecution and some of us may even be martyred for our faith. Brothers and sisters of ours across this world are experiencing that even today. But Daniel 7 encourages us, don't throw in the towel. Don't throw in the towel. Faith in God in such a world does not compromise and it does not capitulate. It stays the course. It fights the fight. Here's what that means. No matter what comes, no matter what comes in our own country, we will continue to make disciples as long as we're here. We will continue to love our city and to love one another as long as we are here. We will continue to evangelize. We will continue to take the gospel to the ends of the earth no matter what the cost may be. And threats from power-hungry, beastly kings and rulers will not stop us. We will stay the course and we will fight the fight. How can we do that? Because God's grace is sufficient. Remember, Remember that whatever comes, your Father who orders your days, both the joyful and the painful ones, is the Ancient of Days, full of wisdom and holiness and sovereignty and eternality and authority. We rely on His resources to live faithfully in this chaotic world. And remember that though this world may often overwhelm you, the Son of Man, Jesus, has overcome the world. The Son of Man has already won the victory. He has conquered your conquerors, and he has made you more than a conqueror in him. We receive the kingdom because we are united to the king. And while we wait, 
while we wait for the kingdom to be consummated, for the end to come, for this judgment day to happen, and for us to receive the fullness of the kingdom, we don't have to wait to live as citizens of that kingdom. So in the face of suffering and persecution, God's people are able to live however imperfectly as we will perfectly live forever. Here's what I mean by that. We are being trained now for how we will live then. You know that's the point of discipleship, right? We are discipling one another into the image of Christ, which we will be forevermore. So as we are working together to help one another love each other more and to live holy lives, and to encourage one another. As we are doing that, we are preparing ourselves for what our lives will be like in God's eternal kingdom. So let's stay faithful to God in a world where the beasts have dominion. Final purpose of this, of this vision is my favorite. We're encouraged to look onward. We're encouraged to look onward. One of my favorite quotes of all time is shared by G.K. Chesterton. He once wrote, Fairy tales do not tell children dragons exist. Children already know dragons exist. Fairy tales tell children that dragons can be killed. That's the point of Daniel 7. One day, the Son of Man will return with the clouds of heaven. The Ancient of Days will hold his court, and he will execute his perfect justice, and all the beasts will be killed. All the beasts will be killed. The kingdom of the Son of Man will be given to the sons and daughters of God. All that is wrong with this world will be set right. Today, we live in a world of terrifying beasts, but we will not live in that world forever. Turn to Revelation 21. Another apocalyptic book. Very into your Bible. Revelation 21, once again, reveals to us what we have to look forward to. Here's what we read. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. Listen to verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more. For the former things have passed away. The former things have passed away. Daniel 7 encourages us to look forward to the return of Jesus. Look forward to the return of Jesus. Hope for it. Crave it. Long for it. Pray for it. When the beasts of this world show their hideous and dreadful faces to you, remember that a day of reckoning is coming. The beasts will be former things. The evil rulers, the evil kings, every terrifying thing that Daniel saw will one day be a former thing. Persecution, sin, suffering, and all forms of evil may win today. But one day, they will be former things. Do you know what will not be a former thing? The Ancient of Days. The Son of Man. And you. You. You and I deserve to one day be forgotten and to one day be a former thing. You and I deserve the fate of the beasts because don't we all have beastly qualities within us? We all have spoken arrogantly against the Most High God just like the little horn. We all have rebelled against his created order by creating chaos. We deserve a guilty verdict in the Ancient of Days court. But a kingdom that is forever and ever and ever belongs to us because of the way 
the Son of Man receives his kingdom. As the Son of Man, Jesus, who will one day come in glory with the clouds of heaven, has already come in humility. He took our humanity. He took our sin. He faced our judgment. Jesus conquers the beasts by dying at their hands. Okay? The Son of Man, who will one day be worshipped by all peoples and all nations and all tongues, came not to be served, but to serve by giving his life as a ransom. Jesus' death and resurrection secured his kingdom, secured his enemy's defeat, and secured your salvation. The purpose of Daniel 7 is to help you have present hope in this future glory. So some of you have painful stories right now. You have painful stories. As painful as your story may be right now, this is the end of your story. But the court shall sit in judgment, and the dominion of the fourth beast shall be taken away to be consumed and destroyed to the end. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom and all dominions shall serve and obey him. So brothers and sisters, let's keep pressing onward through, through suffering, through pain, through persecution. Let's keep following Jesus no matter what it brings because if the ancient of days is our judge and the son of man is our savior, then let the world do its worst. What can mere man do to us when the ancient of days is our judge and he has pardoned us by the work of the Son of Man? We are heirs of an eternal kingdom. So let the world do its worst to us. Here's the good news for anyone in this room who doesn't know Jesus. The good news is anybody can get in on this. Anybody can get in on this. This glorious hope is offered to each of you freely. So will you come? Will you come and take a drink from this living water that's without cost? Will you trust Jesus as your Savior? Let me pray.